we as a Woven Earth community have to have the right heart and the right passion and the right purpose. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Welcome to Purposey with Karen Thrupp, founder and CEO of Woven Earth, a charity working with frontline domestic violence agencies across Auckland, New Zealand, largest city. The charity was inspired by Karen's own lived experience to help survivors to rebuild their lives by furnishing their homes, a phenomenal charity that are doing a really important work. Karen has been instrumental in launching and scaling, and you'll hear her founder story from beginning to end, as well as Karen's inspirational life story. Before we jump into the show, can I just ask, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, if you can hit the follow button, it really helps me get the message out there. Enjoy the episode. This episode of Purposey was brought to you by Benevity all-in-one software solution that benefits employees, customers, nonprofits, and society. Let's get back to the show. Karen Thrupp, a really warm welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you. You're the founder and CEO of Woven Earth. What's its mission? What's its purpose? Woven Earth is a registered charity, and we furnish homes and lives of people who have fled from family violence. We work across the whole of the Auckland region, from Walkworth down to Pukekohe. And I read a stat saying sort of 23 homes in, in one month and, and quite a few children's lives particularly affected. Like that's the sort of strike rate you're hitting at? That's right, yes. I think, you know, as the awareness grows, we're a relatively new charity in the charity space, but the as the awareness grows, the demand is increasing. We can do, you know, five, five up to five, six homes a week. And certainly the number of lives that we're changing has hit over a thousand. And so going nearly four years, give us a feel for the size of the team and and how you operate, because you're on this 24-7 yourself, aren't you? You don't, you're right in the detail. I'm in everything. The size of the team, well, it's been up until today, actually, I have one, my first staff member joining me today in an operations role. Up until then, it's just been myself and I pay um, this amazing lady, She does 10 hours a week for me to help me with the financial accountability and grants, applications and reporting. So until then, until today, it's been just me for everything. And then I have this amazing team of volunteers. So momentous day uh, for you and for Woven Earth, because I remember, um, I imagine sharing the load and having someone you can delegate to is going to be huge. Oh, it's massive. It's actually, I was thinking about it just last night, thinking how this is unbelievable because my entire, you know, I've operated on such a high intense level of doing all of everything. So from filtering every single donation that comes in to scheduling all of the transport and logistics to managing the volunteers, taking all the referrals from agencies and driving this charity to get the funding and build relationships. So to be able to carve off some of my role is quite significant and will give me so much more capacity to keep doing more great stuff with Woven Earth. Yeah, and I know a little bit about how you operate, but give us an example about how you work and and how a referral comes to you and then what you guys do. 
So, yeah, we are referral-based. We work with a number of agencies across Auckland. I think my last count was 31 agencies, so one being victim support Auckland-wide. So they're quite diverse and... You know, the scale of, of the referrals coming in is coming from all different angles. We have obviously Shine and Refuge and police, family harm teams, homeless accommodation providers to Plunkett. You know, so it's really a very, very broad scope of agencies who are working firsthand with families. They identify the family that needs our help. So they will say, I've only got two criteria, actually, and I've kept it really simple. Have they gone through family harm and are they on a rebuild journey? That's it. Because the agency of the people who are filtering the referrals for me, once it reaches, once they reach me and they contact me, it's either a family has found a home, they've either been in emergency accommodation, homeless accommodation, refuge, wherever they may be, and they've secured a new home, then they will tell me all of the the needs and wants and likes and gaps for that family that they require in order to set up their new home. And we go into a lot of detail, you know, I don't want to just know a bed or a washing machine or a fridge. I want to know all of the lives and who each person is in that family. So favourite colours, hobbies, interests, what have they lost as part of that journey? So I guess the referral part is really critical because that's where I dig really deep into exploring who the family is and what would they most benefit from in creating a unique home just for them. And that rebuild point is really crucial. So it's at that point you guys start your work, but they needed to have started that part of their journey Yes, and and left the situation they're in. Correct. So they need to be on a rebuild journey. So they need to have made the break free of violence and this is their next step out into rebuilding their life. And that detail you talk about, like when I've, before this interview and, and, you know, the videos I watched and the stuff I read, like you go in, like it's next level the detail you go into and and this is a crucial part of woven earth isn't it it's around delivering back individuals their self-respect and seeing it's kind of seeing the person and the child like seeing them for who they are and delivering on their interests as part of the sort of respect you give your clients yeah and i think you know what really drives it is this word dignity so through the journey of family violence you're stripped of your dignity and you through abuse, you have been squashed down and you have been, you know, really severely traumatized. And often what I found is the help that's given, it's a bit of a tick box. So it's, you know, this is what we give and this will do because that's our kit set. And I say people aren't a kit set, you know, we're not all the same. We all have different needs and in respecting and honoring who each person is, we can lift people up and change their reality and we can make them feel seen and valued. And in giving them their dignity back, we give them hope. And then they see that it's possible because a huge part of, you know, why people return to family harm is because of this critical step. They don't see that it's possible to start again. It's all too overwhelming and it's too hard. And financially, I mean, the financial factor has to come into it. It's too crippling to be able to think where you're going to find the resource to set up a home. So that is what drives me. It's the people in the heart and knowing that 
just because you've been through family harm doesn't mean that you don't deserve to have these things and to be seen and valued. Yeah. And you guys are busy, right? So some horrendous stats out there around domestic abuse and, and violence and, and, the, and marriages and homes. So I think one in three have experienced domestic abuse. Like it's, you could do more, like you guys are oversubscribed. Yes. You've got people who are on a waiting list. We do. And we can absolutely do more. It comes down to capacity and it comes down to funding and it comes down to, you know, a whole lot of factors to be able to keep doing more. Like for example, this week I was actually just before we started looking at what's coming for this week and we've got five homes. So every single day, or not today, but so on Tuesday, we're going to do two homes in one day just to meet the need. So I always try and not let people sit on a waiting list because I think that's something really, uh, you know, that they experience. And I don't want Woven Earth to ever be a layer of systems abuse. People are experiencing just by virtue of how overcrowded and in demand our family harm resources are. And there's a lot of emotion in what you do, and there's a, I imagine it affects you personally, but I'm just thinking around how you guys have to operate because often you've got women, especially coming from you know transitionary households or, or they're in kind of in semi-hiding or trying to break through and free to their new life. Does that mean there's a whole layer of way you guys operate around secrecy and just being a bit careful about how people operate? So you have to tell the public about your mission to get funding, but at the same time, you deliver your services fairly quietly and without much fuss because it's respectful to your clients. That's right. So that's why the agency role is really critical because I feel that the family have already told their story to that agency. The agency know the ins and the outs and the private parts that we don't necessarily need to know. So when an agency makes a referral, I say to them, the responsibility is on you to be the primary point of contact for that family. So all I want, I don't want names and I don't need date of births, but what we want is their ages and their genders and that level of detail about who they are the privacy part comes in when we have, and the critical part of, of being really careful is when we get the addresses. So an address is never written down and or shared through any kind of social media. We destroy our emails. We have a shredder if we print anything out. But what we do do is when my team meet at a home that we are furnishing because we can as part of our service we do set up homes so we go in and before the family even enter we meet the social worker at the door we never have the keys in our possession the social worker opens the door for us we go in we furnish that home within one and a half to two hours and we hand the key the social worker has the key when we exit and the family come in behind us. But it's about not sharing addresses. It's about being really careful with photographs that we take, you know, never taking any photographs of anything we can identify on the outside so they can't be traced, having our location services switched off on our telephones, and then just being really mindful that, yes, some of these instances we can't even set the houses up. We have to just send our transport team and they deliver it and we don't even go near the house. So it's really being flexible with our service to meet whatever the safety concerns are for the family and also the needs of how they want to have their home delivered to them. Yeah, and imagine now you're hiring staff fit for that individual people joining the organisation 
or even just coming on as volunteers, fits a really important part. Like they, they need to be right for this kind of work. Yeah, like I get loads of people wanting to volunteer, which is beautiful. But my big philosophy here is that we, as a woven earth community, have to have the right heart and the right passion and the right purpose. When we're packing, I say to my team, when we pack, the energy that we have in our warehouse and that goes into finding these items to fill each home that's the love and the energy that goes into the packing and the family receive it and feel it on the other end. And I think if anyone looking at the photos of what I do post of some of the homes, because I don't post every home, they'll see the care and the attention to detail. And that just comes through to just people having a really good heart. And that's what I need is passion and good heart. And in terms of like lived experience and people who want to volunteer with you or maybe want to join as employees are you careful around that lived experience so if someone's been through domestic abuse themselves and they want to get involved in this work is that sometimes actually a red flag or is it it's the opposite you you really would like to engage them with with this work or does that not even come up as an issue it doesn't even come up because i've had it reflected back to me i remember when i was starting woven earth someone said to me oh but what qualifies you to do this And I felt like that was quite disrespectful because just because I've been through family harm, I don't expect others to have have gone through it. I think what is more important is having that kindness built into their intentions of why they want to volunteer. Whether it comes up in conversation or not, it's never something that I will ever ask anyone because it doesn't necessarily define a good person who can give to other people. It's just about how pure their intentions are of wanting to give. So it's more the motivation behind joining us. As I said, four years in, one of the big challenges of starting and scaling and growing a charity, it just comes down to funding, right? So (laughs) it's one of the biggest pain points. And it never lets up, Karen, does it? Like we're talking, yours going to be fundraising for probably life. But um, give sort of feel of the annual income and then how you, you know, raise that money and then what that looks like in the future. Look, it's so hard to forward plan with a charity. I've never, I've worked on the other side, being in the corporate world and supporting charities. But when I started Woven Earth, I just had... And I think I'm, it's quite fortuitous that I didn't have any idea of how hard it would be financially because, you know, the grant applications that you apply for, you don't even know if you're going to be accepted for them. So that's a waiting game. So it, on our budget and our forecasting, financial forecasting, it comes up as a question mark, you know, like this is what we have put in for whether we're going to get it or not, who knows. So then I have to have a backup plan. So I guess the evolving world of where I've got to now is that we have some core funders. You know, we've got the Hugh Green Foundation who have rolled over into annual funding. But each year I still think, oh, I hope that they do. But they do. They're amazing and supportive. And then the Dewdrop Foundation have committed to five years of funding, which is my only long-term funding commitment that I have to date. I've got, you know, I've got some sponsorship from Mac & Co Legal, which is I need to build on my sponsorship because at the moment I don't have formal sponsorship from other companies. So then I have my grants and my funding sponsorship. And then I started a couple of years ago, 
I launched, it's called A Thousand Hands. So I've realized that without regular giving from good people in the community and businesses, then that is my guarantee, more of a guarantee, because I know each month what is coming in that we can spend on purchasing items for homes. But it's it's a real juggling act. You know, I'm always looking for opportunities to fundraise. I'm always looking for different people who I can connect with. I met with a lady from uh, Z service stations the other day, and she said, have you ever tried good in the hood where you put those tokens in? So now that's on my radar. So it's just always having your eyes wide open for different opportunities that can come. But with growing my team, you know, today, now I've got a funding requirement in order to enable this position, this operations role, with Marnie filling it to to keep her wages coming in. So the pressure increases for funding as you get bigger. And that's a bit overwhelming. Absolutely. And what have you learned about fundraising? Because it's you haven't got a background in the charitable sector. Like, has there been things that have surprised you that you thought actually, you know, like that to be different? Is there anything that stood out? Um, it's interesting because I don't know how other charities operate. I try not to focus on what other charities are doing and compare myself because I think we all operate in such different spaces with different output and Woven Earth is so unique. But one belief I have and what has worked to me for me to date, which I will stick with, is I don't compromise on my values and the purpose of Woven Earth and the similar philosophy of you know, how I choose my volunteers of having good hearts. That's how I think about the funding. So I don't go in with a financial target when I talk to people. I actually go in wanting people to believe in what I'm doing. And I truly believe that once they believe in Woven Earth, the funding will come. And so far, so good. <laughs> I don't want to be naive in that, but I think the more I can share the story and people can see the impact we're having and I make people part of our community, they have a belief in it in a different way. So I don't just want a financial backer. I want people to come and do a home with us. I want them to really feel the energy of what's happening when we do create a home for a family. So my my approach is about sharing the journey of Woven Earth in order to secure the funding. So I don't go for the dollar, I go for the purpose. And an extension of that is you've actually walked away from opportunities, eh? You've said no to some fairly high-profile offers with yes. the potential of money. And I think the one I'm thinking of, you, it was come and tell, your, you know, tell the organization's story, your personal story, and you pushed it back and you're like, actually going back to what you said, about, I want you to believe in who we are and what we're doing. That's right. You know, and I think it comes down to not compromising on Woven Earth because I think about if I sold Woven Earth and put a dollar value on it and just wanted to sell it like a sales pitch, it's going to lose the whole drive behind it, you know. It was a big decision. Like it, it was, I had to really sit with myself and think, what is more important? But I truly believe that in not taking that opportunity, I open up other opportunities that will have far longer term results for me and build a longer term partnership because that was a quick sale. And my story isn't for sale in that sense. And my story, I always say to people, I'm not woven earth. I'm just a person who unfortunately had a terrible experience and created something and thought I have to do something with this and turn it into a positive for other people. But Woven Earth is a movement. 
you know, it's changing beliefs, it's changing lives. And that doesn't happen just from me. It happens from all the people that surround Woven Earth. If you look at my my logo, even down to my logo, it's not just a logo. It's a every single golden dot is all the beautiful people and businesses and support that I get that joins together to create Woven Earth to make it possible. So, yeah, I'm not just going to sell it for a dollar value. Karen, you've very much been founded this charity because of your own experience and and based off your own experience. And that story that you tell has attracted, you know, will have attracted people to come with you on your mission. Is that challenging sometimes to take yourself back to some dark days? And is, is it tough to tell that story? Like, we've, is that always something you want to discuss or, or is that challenging? Yes and no. You know, not that I want to relive the details of it or dwell on what's happened to me, but I do think that it is integral because it's part of the story of why Woven Earth is created and what it is really. So in telling my story, it's more about not enabling it to be a secret because that's what abuse is. It thrives on the secrecy. But trying to tell it in such a way that it's actually a positive because this is the positive side of my story. This is saying through the hardship and through what we experience firsthand, I've been able to turn it into something that is quite magical, that is is giving other people an opportunity where I saw a gap and I had to struggle. So I think in my mind... What I believe is, is that people look at me and I'm not your typical, what people assume is a typical family harm survivor because people have these stereotypes. So in breaking that and in telling my story, I believe that I'm helping to change some mindsets and to shed a light on an area of family harm that often is overlooked. And that's the practical side. That's the the cold, hard reality of living with abuse is one thing, but it's the journey afterwards that can actually be even more challenging than just living within an abusive home because it is lonely and it's scary and it's overwhelming. And it is these practical sides are what drive people back to abuse. So I guess in my mind, I'm just, I flip it. And I think in sharing my story, it's about just turning this for other people to raise awareness. People talk, you know, they they talk about therapy often being a really instrumental part of their recovery and their survivorship, if you like. But then I've heard increasingly people talking about serving, so serving others as the really when it got real for them, and they really started to put some of their emotions behind them and get on with their lives. But that comes with a sort of a health warming, doesn't it? Around the serving needs to be, you know, a positive thing for the person who's receiving it. But is that a big realization for you? Serving is a really important part of this for you. Serving as in serving people who are receiving. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you know, you're very much serving people who have walked a similar path to you. Not the same path, and that's got to be clear. But that's being able to serve people. Like, is that part of? Has that made you a happier person? I think what it's done. Yeah, there is an element of healing within it. And I think the way that I've created Woven Earth, so I'm not hearing and walking the journey alongside these families because I wouldn't be able to do that effectively. But being in touch and having the agency and hearing these small parts and the hope side, the positive, nice part of this journey, is that is safe for me to do. But I think in, in seeing the difference it makes, 
for people who, like me, left with nothing and are struggling and trying to get back on their feet and to think, imagine if there was a woven earth around when I was doing this, you know? And so for me, that's a really beautiful side to say, I haven't walked this journey for nothing. I've actually turned it into something that is positive and is helping other people not have to go through that hardship that I've had to. And this has been a, a startup that you've had to do everything, haven't you? You've had to be <laughs> the service provider. You've had to be the fundraiser. You had to get those initial people on board. You've had to do everything and be everything for a long time. Now, have you heard of something called founder syndrome? Because I'm guessing that you're going to have a difficulty handing over the reins. So I know someone started today, so we, we can't have a conversation with them today to say good luck with that. But founder syndrome, is that gonna is that gonna be an issue? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I think I've lived and breathed this for so long because it is so close to my heart. Yeah, to carve up my role and hand parts over. But you know, I'd be naive to say it doesn't come with its own challenges for me because I'm so used to just doing all of it. But the other side of where I've reached before I even sought the funding for the role is I knew that it wasn't sustainable for me to remain the doer of all and that the impact of that would actually fall back on the families eventually because I wouldn't be able to keep up with the growth and the demand. So for me, if I, I've had to put on a different hat and see it as actually this is a really beautiful positive to hand it over because then we can help more families and I can grow Woven Earth and bring all the other elements that I haven't had any time to focus on into fruition instead of just going, oh, one day I'll get round to that. So it's just a reality and it's a lovely development. It's a really amazing, you know, I sit back and I think, wow, how far have we come, have I come in such a short amount of time in the charity space? to be able to create a role and fill it and grow my team. And have you had, what have the best moments been for you? Is it, has it been a best moment? Like, do you often think you do what you do, you get the keys just before you walk into the building, you will never get the keys. You do the transformation, you put a lot of thought into it, and then you walk away and you don't necessarily see the reaction of the family, of the children? Or do you sometimes get close to that reaction? We actually do often see the families they're so excited <laughs> and they haven't been able to sleep with anticipation that when we are leaving and I don't make it a you know we're not secret service at all where we don't need to stay anonymous to the family if they want to meet us they can and that is the beautiful part the tears and the joy and showing someone through their home and seeing the kids squealing and running and picking up all their beautiful new items that's it for me because that's what we're here for. And when you see the the reaction of the family and you know, like the other week we did a home and the mum kept sitting on the bed and saying, oh, my own bed, I'm going to get to sleep tonight. I can't wait to have my own room and my own bed to sleep in. And that was while her little girl was out there playing with all of her stuff and busy. It is a beautiful thing because you can just see the relief and feel the emotion of where they've got to in their journey to reach that moment. Getting things sorted and having calm in a house and through nice things and things are tidy and I've seen videos of the houses that you guys do. What really jumped out at me was that feeling seen, 
like for a family or a child. Like I know you've bought specific presents, yeah. you know, and that's that for a child and, and that for a parent. Incredible. Like the parent just wants to be looked after, I imagine, eh? after a really yeah. tough time and wants and the kids to be happy. But for the kid to be seen when some a lot of the times are secondary and not seen, like that to me is probably the gold of what you provide. Yeah. And I think you know, often when the when the social worker or the, the agency are trying to draw out of the parent what they like and what their favourite colours are, the parent really struggles and they say, oh, this was so hard to extract from them what their favourite colour was or what they were interested in. But when it comes to the kids, they can go for pages long of what their, who their children are and what they would love to have. I always say when the children are happy, it raises the mental health of the family because the parent can sit back and actually take a breather and know that their child is fulfilled. And it's a huge comfort to see that your children are happy and positive and excited. And so that day of moving isn't seen or marked in their mind as a trauma day. It's not, oh my God, the day that we entered that house and it was empty. It's like Christmas Day, and that's what I want each family to feel is that excitement of, wow, that was the best day ever. You know, one little girl described it perfectly when she said to her mum, I thought this kind of thing only happened in the movies because she couldn't believe that all of her dreams of what she wanted in her room had come true and that they had this home. So that part is absolutely magical. I mean, tomorrow we're delivering a bike to a girl who's turning 15, it's her birthday, and she's gone through really severe abuse, and they don't have a car, so she's struggling to get to school, but what she really wanted was a bike. So we've, through our children's fund, been able to go out and buy her a brand new bike in her favourite colours with a brand new helmet, and it gets delivered to her tomorrow. And I think, what a beautiful thing. Where else can you go in life? And put in that kind of request and there's no forms and red tape and she gets this amazing bike of what she always wanted so the social worker said she's so excited to be able to deliver it to her and often the social workers you know and the police they say to us this is the best day of our career we love a woven earth day because it's amongst so much hardship and traversing a very difficult system, this is a bit of a golden moment where they can just experience pure joy and happiness. Wonderful. And what do your children think of Woven Earth? What's their understanding of it? Do they have much exposure to it? Yeah, they do. I've, they've helped pack for many children. So I send them off what I call shopping around the depot. I ask them what they think, you know, children their age or younger would enjoy and they love seeing the photos of the homes and their commenters, they're people like us, aren't they, mum? I'm like, yeah, they are. And they're like, but now they've got a home and it's beautiful. And they said, imagine if someone had done that for us. But I always remind them of the kindness that we were given because all those moments of kindness of people buying groceries from a supermarket, not just a food parcel, and giving us you know, someone paid for my son to do soccer and my daughter to do gymnastics while we're at refuge in those moments. So I always think it's really important for them to be reminded how important kindness is for each person and not just like purposeful kindness. Like what I, that's what we do. We don't just give items. We notice people. So I think my kids, yeah, they get it on a different level. Yeah, I'm sure they do. 
And looking overseas, is, is there an equivalent operating in other parts of the world? Are you guys unique? I bet you've looked. I have looked. I haven't really found anything. I mean, people do. There are some similar, but not exactly a woven earth. And there's nothing like it that I've found in New Zealand. I stand to be corrected if other people can point me in that direction in New Zealand. But every week I get calls from people around New Zealand saying, is there a woven earth in our town? <laughs> are you here? And that's one of my, I guess, one of my visions is that there is a woven earth on offer, not just in Auckland, but that we can expand it and and have it across the country. Yeah, I bet. Karen Thrupp, massive thank you for joining me on Purposely. Thank you very much. It's really great that you've, you've reached out and we've been able to do this. So I really thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do. 